ProWrestlingInc.com brings you Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, the podcast that goes beyond WWE and goes in-depth on NJPW, AEW, ROH, PWG, and more. Also featuring fun pop culture and wrestling crossovers, listener Q&As, and extended discussions about wrestling topics past, present, and future. Now, here's your host, Kelsey. Hi, and welcome to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. I'm joined, as I am every week, by my co-host, Paul. <laughs> a little blurry-eyed, a little worse for wear, as I'm uh, doing a freelance shoot for the Oxygen Network, of all things, for the next few days. So Where true crime lives. Where true, true, true crime lives, apparently. Yes. yes. <laughs> so we're up early, recording the podcast. If you are looking for it, and it's Friday, it's a little late, but we appreciate your patience. It's been a hectic few days for us. It's, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. It's my fault, too. No, it's a general rule of thumb. It's my fault on no. everything. Yes, I even said that on, on my on my freelance shoot the other day. But if something's wrong, it's my fault. Whatever. <laughs> well, it's not your fault that... That what? <laughs> I don't even know. I was going to say that the Best of Super Juniors tournament was good, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Never mind. I'm tired. It's early. Oh, well. Uh, let's talk about some plugs, first of all. Let's uh, talk about Super Kicking It. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Super Kicking It, S-U-P-E-R-K-I-C-K-I-N-G-I-T. I did a Periscope video the other day, kind of just talking wrestling. Every Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. CT, I've been doing a video, whether it's just a random video of me talking wrestling or a pop culture video. I've been doing some sort of video every week. If you want to check that out, stay tuned to my Twitter because it's easy to find there. Or you can go to the same name, Super Kicking It, on Periscope, because that's my same screen name there. Also, check out my YouTube, Super Kicking It with Kelsey, that's K-E-L-S-I, for my latest videos as well. And also, recently, I did a really fun video with my friends John Warren and Anthony at Smirk to Death. You can find them on Twitter there, or on YouTube, Smirk to Death. We talked about the Best of Super Junior Finals, and we predicted Dominion. So if you guys are interested, it's really funny. John and I argued about Juice, whether or not he's a B-plus player, or an A player. We argued about that for like 50 <laughs> minutes, and everyone was really in- entertained. So, <laughs> check it out. We've had that discussion in the past, but yeah, definitely check Kelsey's videos every Tuesday, whether it's Kelsey Likes, either or, or uh, just general feedback uh, that uh, you take from viewers and listeners. Yep, I have a lot of fun doing those, and uh, it'd be great if you guys checked it out. (laughs) Also, you could check out our Twitter for our show, at TwoFacePod, T-W-O-F-A-C-E-D-P-O-D. There are weekly tweets about the episode with all the links, so if you need to know where to find us, especially if you'd like to look at the video version if you only listen to the audio, check out that tweet on TwoFacePod every week. We would appreciate it, and we would appreciate you sticking around with us for the next 45 minutes to an hour or so. We've got a couple interviews, Jimmy Havoc uh, from StarCast, and then uh, James Musselwhite, the great photographer from last year's StarCast, we got, and it's tied in with Jimmy Havoc. Yeah, so I that, wanted that's to... That's good stuff in the second segment. Yeah, I wanted to replay that James Musselwhite interview because it goes so well with what Jimmy Havoc said because we talked about James. So we'll play that again and uh, we'll push them back to back and hopefully you guys will really like them because I love talking to Havoc and Musselwhite. Great stuff there. But it's time for news and headlines. It is time for headlines. <laughs> 
are going to start in New Japan, a big, 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 big week of action. Uh, Best of Super Juniors coming to an end with the uh, finals and big show on Wednesday. In fact, uh, Kevin Kelly said it was going to be the biggest crowd for the Best of Super Juniors finals in 22 years. So it was was a big night, and we'll start with some of the early action and then uh, build our way up because it was a, a great show. Uh, of course, there was an eight-man tag early on. Uh, Naito with the great stare down of Ibushi setting up their their showdown at Dominion. But I, I liked him leaning over the rope and giving his his look at the belt. Like I I really would like that again. <laughs> They've got some great interactions, but the match itself it's been so many times in such a short period of time. So to me personally, I'm not super jazzed about it. I know it's going to be an awesome match, but. Uh, I'm just ready for Obushi to face anybody else right now. And Naito, too, because Naito needs some wins. I don't think he's going to win against Obushi. If you're watching this after Dominion, you'll know whether or not he did. So we'll see how that goes. And I'm really looking forward to the next opponent. Uh, there was a 10-man tag where Suzuki and Liger squared off again. We joked about this. How long is this build between Suzuki and Liger going to go? Forever. <laughs> because we're still not getting the singles at Dominion. Yep. So, uh, and they're still teasing, like, you know, this eventual singles match, which I don't know when it's going to happen, but I hope it's at a big show because that's a really entertaining match, and they put a lot into it in terms of story. Like you said, they've been building it forever. It's got to have a decent payoff, and I think it should be kind of on the upper tier of any card. Right, and but... Can they stretch this all the way to Wrestle Kingdom? Is that the plan? I don't think so. That's way too long. And it's already been so extreme. Like, how much more fiery meetups can they have? Yeah, that's true. So, I I don't know. It'd be kind of neat for a Wrestle Kingdom match. It would have meaning. But, you know, Suzuki actually tweeted out, like, New Japan, I want to fight Chris Jericho and Jon Moxley. The fans want it. And I I tweeted as well after he tweeted that, and I said, Suzuki just tweeted about fighting Chris Jericho and John Moxley. Make it happen, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yes. Those would be Wrestle Kingdom-worthy matches as well. Yeah. I'm tired of Suzuki having a lower-tier yeah. Wrestle Kingdom match. I, if you recall, he was on, like, the pre-show, the pre-show <laughs> last year at Wrestle Kingdom 13. That cannot happen this year when John Moxley, before he joined New Japan for Wrestling while he was still actually with WWE, apparently was a guest at Bloodsport and said that he was there because he loved Minoru Suzuki and he wanted to see Suzuki. He told uh, one of our Wrestling Inc. cohorts that. So that is pretty interesting to me. Obviously, John Moxley wants to face Suzuki. Suzuki wants to face him. Make it happen! Well, and don't forget Suzuki was just only in the uh, Battle Royal G1 Supercard, too. So, yeah. And that was a crime, too. I mean, he had a great showing there and a great little moment, a couple of great moments. But to me, it could have been bigger. It could have been a singles match or even a tag match if he was going to work with Zack Sabre Jr. And on top of that, uh, as we look ahead to Dominion later in the show, he's not a major factor in that either. So uh, we'll see what happens with Minoru Suzuki. Uh, Rocky and Okada versus Brody and Skrull. Uh, Brody King getting a... uh, a big showing in New Japan uh, over the last month, getting a chance to accompany Skrull. Yeah, I I think it's great for Brody. Skrull, I think, hasn't really shined at all in this tournament. And I actually talked about this with my friends the other night on our video. I feel like he's kind of coasting right now. That's probably because he's got plans to just leave once his contract's up and then join his friends in AEW. That would make sense, but... 
Brody and Skrull had a decent match here, but I think Brody's the one who shined, not Skrull. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's an awkwardness of them together. I don't really buy the chemistry. I'm not saying that they're not friends, but it just doesn't come off as natural as when Skrull worked with the Bucks, let's say. Or anybody, like even Omega, anybody in the Bullet Club, which he eventually obviously joined. Well, um, it just the chemistry's not the same. And I think, and, and rightfully so, in Ring of Honor... Brody is with PCO. They are a better fit. I think. I think those. I think it was nice that Skrull had him along uh, with New Japan. I, I think that was good exposure for Brody. But he is still in Villain Enterprises. Obviously, secondary behind. Like Skrull is the leader, and PCO and Brody are are a tag team. You know. Yeah, I just feel like PCO is even outshining Skrull in Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. I just feel like Skrull is not giving his 100 sometimes. I still love him. I still think he's a great wrestler, and this is something we talked about a lot, like I said in the other video, with Smark to death. But uh, I just don't think he's firing on all cylinders, and I can understand why. But Brody had some cool parts in this match, though, speaking of Brody, because I think he's doing great. Uh, Brody and Rocky kind of squaring off. The size difference is just (laughs) amazing. I love that visual. It really worked out really well. And, of course... Uh, you know, Brody and him have a little interaction, and then Skrull comes in once Rocky is knocked down. <laughs> then he tags in. Uh, Okada showing great uh, strength when he slammed uh, King on top of Skrull and then uh, gets the finisher, the Rainmaker, on Brody King. But, of course, it's what happened after the match. Okada, a couple times during the night, uh, alluding to, where's Jericho, where's Jericho? Looking around. Yeah, kind of making it seem like Jericho may attack, and then Jericho's video comes on. Uh, great video piece, but... <laughs> I'm disappointed that Jericho wasn't there for any of the build. You know, I know people are like, oh, well, he had Fozzie dates, he couldn't be there. Because to me, I was like, Best of Super Junior Finals and Dominion, they're four days apart. Jericho could have been there and just stayed in Japan for four days. So if the argument is he had a Fozzie date that he couldn't break and that's why he wasn't there for best of super junior finals to build up to the match at dominion that is okay but there's got to be one date or two dates he could have made time to be there in this build because to me just a video package which it's awesome right it's a great video package it's very eerie it's yet another rendition another iteration of what jerko is doing with his new character it's a little different okada pain maker i like that a lot i like the differences and the creepiness and how he's even evolved it further than what it was when he faced naito and omega but i feel like in person, at least one interaction between them would have been better for this build. Huh. Yes, you could say, like, it's Jericho, he doesn't really need to be there, right. but you do. I feel like you do. I liked Okada when he went on the mic asking the crowd, what, what is a pain maker? <laughs> yeah, that was good. All you need here in New Japan is a rainmaker. <laughs> and I really can't see Jericho winning here. Like, I was surprised when he won the IC title belt from Naito. That took me by surprise. But I really feel like this is not a possibility for him to win the IWGP heavyweight title because of his involvement with AEW, because he won't be around very much to defend it. I just feel like, you know, looking ahead to Dominion, I don't see how Jericho could win. But Okada had some cool moments looking around, almost mocking the fact that Jericho wasn't there in this build to Dominion. And if you're watching this after Dominion, it'd be interesting if I'm wrong somehow yeah. <laughs> and J- Jericho wins the belt, that would be weird. I hope it doesn't happen. Uh, Tanahashi and Jay White doing battle again. Uh, Tanahashi coming back from elbow surgery. Jay White looking like a member of your favorite band. Oh, yes. I, 
I really thought that his jacket and then the beard together made him look like he was a member of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And of course, it's a Beatles reference for any of you guys who love the Beatles. They have an album where they're all dressed in these, I don't even know what type of jackets they're called, but they've got like, you know, uh, these shoulder pads and these uh, lines, like these black lines across the center of the jacket. And the jackets are different colors. Some of them are red, blue, uh, Jay White's was red, and it looked just like something off of the album cover yeah, no, of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It was so crazy. Yes, it would. If only he had broken the song, so we could <laughs> like use the Beatles like lyric to mock Tanahashi. How cool would have that been? This is how little I really kind of knew about this match before I went into it. I, for some reason, thought that. Tanahashi was facing Zack Sabre Jr. again. And it wasn't until we were in the show watching that I was like, oh my god, I did a Periscope video and I was thinking that Tanahashi was facing Zack Sabre Jr. That's how out of it I was about this, but White looked great as usual. I felt like he was really, really fresh and extra heelish, even more so than usual. Tanahashi did really well, but you know, he's returning from surgery and everything, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I thought it was a good match, but not my favorite by far. Good heel work by Jay White in uh, attacking Tanahashi before the bell, working the elbow. Good stuff by him. I did have an observation during that match, uh, and I've noticed this in Japan before, but this match and this show in particular, but this match in particular, way too many people at ringside. Between the Young Lions, uh, Gato was out there, of course, during that match seemingly 10 or 11 still photographers then you've got the crew for njpw world Uh, i counted close to if not 20 people ringside and constantly they were telling camera guys to get out of the way they were running into the handheld camera multiple times uh it's it's just a little too much of a circus ringside that it to me it felt like it was impeding the wrestlers a little bit Especially, like, once, we'll get to it in a, in a second, but in the Moxley Juice match, like, they were all over. <laughs> right. They had to tell him to move, like, multiple times, but I do want you to remember what you marked down about what Jay White said at the end of that oh. match, because that was great. Such such great heel stuff. I love I, lo- I love how snarky Jay White is as he's walking back up, and he's beaten up, and he kind of looks back, and he's like, Welcome back, Tana! <laughs> and then goes back to the ring, or back to the uh, back... Uh, and I thought that was funny. That was funny. It was his, you know, usual smarmy, cocky yeah. type of attitude. I liked it a lot. Well, you just alluded to it, so let's get to what was really kind of the big moment of this show. Uh, John Moxley making his appearance after uh, some videos throughout Best of Super Juniors, kind of taunting Juice, and we finally get the payoff of uh, Moxley. Uh, coming to the ring just like he did with the shield through the crowd. Which is really unique for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like, yes, um, it's not completely unusual, but it is it, it is unique. I really like it. And I feel like his new gear is awesome. It really fits him. So, yes, we got the run-in at Double or Nothing. So we saw him, and it was really exciting. But this was the first match he's had on the non-WWE scene. So I was super hyped up to see how it would be. The gear did not disappoint. Uh, because he had a leather jacket with a spray-painted mox on the back yep, that was so cool. cool. It almost looked like a face, because I was like, what is that design on the back? And you're like, it says mox. I was like, oh, I thought it was a face at first. Really, really, uh, you could tell he was jazzed up. You could tell he was refreshed. Mm-hmm. I loved that. That added a lot to it. But not only was he refreshed, but what made this match so great was that Juice was refreshed and reinvigorated. Juice came out looking serious as hell. 
He had something covering his hair that he's been wearing. It looks like a bandana piece. He gets in the ring, stares down at Moxley, takes off the headpiece, and you see that he's cut his dreads off. I know. Serious juice. Look, look like a different person. It he was meant crazy. business. That's what I think it means. I think it means that, and he said this after the match during his post-match promo, CJ Parker, who that's his persona from NXT, mm-hmm. CJ Parker's dead. <laughs> this is Juice Robinson now. He's serious. He's ready to go. And, you know, not to spoil everything about the video or keep referencing the video I did with Smart to Death, but we had this argument about Juice, B-plus player or not. My friend John was saying that he was a B-plus player and there's nothing wrong with that. You've said that. I think he's elevated higher past that because he's made this match work. He made this match work with, with hardly any build at all. There was a video package build, but there was no in-person build at all, and Juice made it work. And not only did he make it work, but he was a worthy contender to make Moxley look really, really good in his debut match for New Japan Pro Wrestling. There's no way anybody doesn't take Mox seriously now after that match with Juice. He busted Juice open. It just did a lot for for Moxley to face Juice. And I think it did a lot for Juice, too, because he looks serious. And I think just because you've got, like, a silliness and a zaniness doesn't mean that you're not an A player. I don't want all my wrestlers, the top-tier guys, to be serious all the time. I'm going to beat you because of this, this, and that. I like that Juice has a personality, that he's got, like, a weirdness to him. I like that he says strange things in his promos. I don't think it subtracts from him as a wrestler at all. Uh, And I I could see him being a top-tier guy if he keeps having these performances. I hope he doesn't lose kind of that silliness, though, just because he is serious Juice with the shaving the dreads. I hope... I hope we still get the goofiness with from him because we talked about it earlier in Best of Super Juniors. He was great on commentary. He know? was definitely an A-plus commentator <laughs> yeah. throughout the Best of Super Juniors tournament. He was the most entertaining person to listen to, even more so than Gino or Caprice, uh, Caprice Coleman. Both of them were great, too, but I yeah. mean... Juice, to me, was on another level because somehow he kept saying absurd things, but it worked and it was entertaining. And I don't think he's going to lose the zaniness because we saw a little bit of it and we heard a little bit of it in his post-match promo. Well, you talked about it but uh, before we continue with the match. I thought the analysis work of Gino, Juice, and Caprice were all so good. They had so many great lines. You know, last week we, we quoted some of Juice's great Great quotes, including the flying taint, I believe, was one of them. Taint smasher. Or the taint smasher, yes. that's what it was. And uh, the flying bunghole, yeah. or whatever. He said bunghole a lot. I know y'all are like, oh, you're just you're you're saying Juice is an A player, but you're saying he said all this? Like, what the hell? <laughs> an A player doesn't say that. But that's the thing. You can you can still... Re- really? Uh, anybody who would say that, uh, do they not remember The Rock? Do they not remember exactly. some of the stuff he said? Exactly. And The Rock was, you know, very popular. He was the top of the card so to me it has no effect on if he's an a or b player i think it adds to him any actually because not a lot of wrestlers can do that and still be taken seriously and can still be rooted for as a babyface. but juice says ridiculous stuff but still people are behind him and he's a fan favorite and the funny thing is uh somebody in the group chat on that video i did the other day said that juice is kevin owens favorite promo i think that's that's a powerful statement there He's my favorite promo right now. <laughs> Honestly, he really is. Besides Osprey, which is really more like a speech giver because his promos feel like, from the heart, true speeches. Prom- uh, the promo, really, I feel like Juice does more promo promos. Right. And they're great. So I also, a uh, great part of this, and you, you, you mentioned the C.J. Parker thing. I thought Kevin Kelly did a good job going through their whole history from FCW. Uh, 
you know, and that uh, Ambrose slash Moxley had a history with Juice slash CJ Parker. So uh, I I thought that was really good stuff. But of course, Moxley right off the bat flipping Juice off, acting not uh, not impressed by him. And I also liked when he was uh, kind of pushing the rules. He went to Red Shoes and said, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry." <laughs> yeah, I thought that I thought Moxley was great. And this was such a physical match. Uh, I mean, it went up into the crowd, but I mean, right off the bat, Moxley uh, realistically working on the area above Juice's eye to open it up, getting the point of the knuckle in there to get that cut going. And uh, I thought that was some great physicality uh, on the lariats when the s- sweat went flying off oh their chest. Gosh. And Gino said something about the crowd in the first round getting getting covered in sweat or yeah. something. I mean... It was uh, juice bleeding, looking like really extreme. You know when he jumped onto Moxley from the upper level. Yes. Like, yeah. but he missed a little bit. Yeah. Well, but that was the second time in the show too. Remember, I commented, you know, Doki in that earlier tag match did the flip off the uh, off the uh, top rope and landed and almost didn't get anybody and landed flat on his back. Yeah. Juice. Almost did the same thing from the top of the entryway where he he barely got Moxley. He did, but somebody pointed out like, oh, you thought it was a good match. There was a lot of missed spots. And to me, I was like, but it was a brawl, though. And in a brawl, not everything connects. So to me, it fit the match and it didn't matter. And it didn't like lessen the match for me that some of the spots didn't connect fully. Like, you know, at first, Moxley couldn't break the table. And didn't he say something like, I'm breaking this table? Yeah, I'm breaking this MF. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like it's the best Moxley has looked in years. He's obviously, like I said in the beginning of our analysis, reinvigorated. And I think that's a key word because... It's easy to kind of be pumped up when you can finally be creative, do something new. And how refreshing was it that the match wasn't stopped because there was blood? I'm sure Moxley was like, what? I'm not used to this. The match continues on even though Juice is bleeding. Uh, And another thing is, like, really, Juice took a lot of punishment. And I thought it really made Moxley look like a monster. Yeah. So it really just, both guys helped each other out quite a bit in how they looked good. It elevated each other. Well, and Kevin Kelly used the line at the end of the match, Moxley has been released from his cage. So I thought that was kind of a telling thing. Uh, We should wrap up that discussion with uh, Moxley's finisher, formerly known as Dirty Deeds. Uh, He attempted a version of that. Uh, that Juice kicked out of, and then a secondary move called the Death Rider. So, which was a modified version yeah. of like his old finish. It was it was cooler looking, almost like a Brainbuster DDT or like an elevated DDT looking right. thing. I don't even know what to call it, but they're calling it Death Rider. And it to me it harkened back to when Ambrose first came back from that injury after his first long break, and I remember whatever the pay per view was saying, oh he's. He's doing a different version of Dirty Deeds, and it looks it looks more brutal. And I think that's kind of what this was. Uh, it was very similar, uh, but I, I like the name. I mean, I like the name of the finishing move, Death Rider. I think that's a good name. And I, I think it's good that it, I didn't like his old finisher very much. I didn't think it looked as effective. I feel like this new one, just a little different, really gives him some freshness, makes him seem more scary. His finish just seems more effective to me. And I just like it because it's like, oh, the old me is dead from WWE. Like, like uh, Juice is saying CJ Parker's dead. I feel like that was the statement of of Moxley being like, well, Ambrose is dead. This is John Moxley, you know? That yep. was cool. So uh, Moxley gets the win, gets the belt, and we'll move on to Dominion, which, again, we will talk about in a little bit. But now on to the 
Best of Super Juniors Finals, uh, Shingo, undefeated, 96 straight matches since coming to New Japan against Osprey. And speaking of entrances, we talked about Juice, we talked about Moxley. Will Osprey coming out with the sword, saying they were saying he was coming to slay the dragon. Boy, what a great match. What a wonderful match, and I feel like things have come full circle for Will Ospreay. I remember the match that got me into New Japan Pro Wrestling. It was from a Best of Super Juniors tournament, you know, in 2016. It was Osprey versus Ricochet, and of course that's the year that Osprey first won his first Best of Super Juniors tournament. You know, fast forward to now, he just won his second. So I feel like... Osprey somehow has gotten even better in the ring since his first Best of Super Juniors tournament, since his year of his debut in New Japan Pro Wrestling, which was 2016. He's only gotten better since then, not only in the ring, but as a compelling person outside of the ring. You know, in his his speech, what he says outside of the ring. I feel like all that has improved, and I think he deserved to be a two-time Best of Super Juniors winner and I thought this match particularly was super clean. They had a great chemistry together, him and Shingo. Every time I thought, like, oh, this could be, like, you know, a mess up, like, uh, they kind of played it out to where it seemed perfect. Like, there was a couple of times where I felt like Will Ospreay almost shouldn't have been on his shoulders, on Shingo's shoulders, but then he started to, like, punch out. So, to me, everything was laid out super perfectly. They just worked great together. The timing was perfect impeccable. I just love the match so much. I thought that was the best match of the tournament. Absolutely. If we were talking about the best match excluding the finals, I would probably say Rocky and El Phantasmo because of the emotion. But if you include the titles, you got to say the final was the best. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, there was a scary move where Shingo flips out of the ring and catches his leg on the barricade, hearkening to uh, TK Orion and his brutal injury. Uh, uh, the, that, that was scary. That was scary. Uh, I also loved... Uh, when uh, Shingo flips Will, and we're used to him landing on his feet, but he flipped him so much that he landed flat on his back. I thought that was a really cool spot as well. It was a cool spot, and you know, I talked about this being the match of the tournament, but honestly, to me, for the year so far, it could be the match of the year. I thought it was a wonderful match. Like I was invested, and that, that to me is a, is a really big deal, and a really big part of enjoying a match is if I'm invested in the people in the match or not, in in if I'm invested in who's going to win or not. And with Will Ospreay, I'm always invested in his match, so that's no surprise. But even further, I just feel like the in-ring quality was there. It was really, really high. And the result had a lot of meaning, too. So that added to the enjoyment of the match as well, was the ending had some kind of consequence and meaning and mattered going forward, and it does matter. Well, and I love that, you know, even though I'm not a huge fan of this all the time, I love that each guy kind of kicked out of each other's finishers uh, or one of Osprey's finishers because he hits the Oz cutter on Shingo and uh, Osprey, you can see him mouth, no way. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then later Osprey kicks out of the last of the dragon. So finally Osprey puts him away with an Oz cutter off the top rope and then the Stormbreaker to win the match. Let me rewind to a really great sequence that... Uh... If we're talking so much about the Ricochet-Osprey match from 2016, I feel like we have to reference this sequence uh, because there's a there's a sequence in the Ricochet match that you think is very choreographed. Mm -hmm. And we saw this sequence that could have been similar. You could think it was choreographed, but to me it was perfectly executed and it didn't seem choreographed oh, awesome. at all. And it was between Shingo and Osprey, of course, earlier in the match where they just kept rolling away 
or flipping and countering each other and it was just it flowed so well the timing was it impeccable was it was that's that's how a, a, a sequence like that should look like yes. you're countering you're doing things that evasive it's not just like the choreographed dance move in the middle of the ring basically but there was flips involved oh, yeah. there was like but, rolling but it, around and timing felt like legitimately trying to avoid danger yeah yes and it worked really well and you pointed it out specifically so i wanted to mention that because you really loved that sequence and i thought it was good too and again it's funny to compare the ricochet match because there's a part in that one you don't like but i love and you're like it's too choreographed but to me it was perfect however this match had nothing that you could say oh that was too choreographed it was just everything worked and flowed uh osprey two big things in his post match after he won he uh, gave a shout out to takahashi uh, he said he wants to carry the Super Junior thing again, which is an interesting discussion because a lot of people think he's going to move up to heavyweight at some point. But at the same time, he's, he made a commitment to Super Juniors or to the Junior Heavyweight Division. Uh, but the other announcement, speaking of commitments, uh, him saying that he's going to stay in Japan full time. That's a big deal. And... I think it's great. It shows that he's invested in the company. And I'm really confused if he's going to move up to heavyweight or not. I feel like he could be the person who almost bridges the gap between heavyweight and junior weight. And almost have like a soft line that he crosses back and forth. That could easily happen, but I don't know. How would they execute that? So it may or may not happen. Like, Because, you know, I was thinking to myself, he could possibly be in the G1. But that would be a really brutal schedule for him to go into after this schedule from yeah. the Best of Super Juniors tournament. So I'm thinking it's unlikely only because it would be really unhealthy for him. But uh, Maybe if he, he takes from Dominion off until the beginning of G1 and does no wrestling, maybe he could. You've got a lot of great juniors in the junior division, people who could carry and be the face and the cornerstone of the division. But I feel like Osprey, especially after winning the Best of Super Junior Tournament for the second time, I guess an argument to why he wouldn't move up to heavyweight right away is that he is now the face of the division and the cornerstone. There's a lot of guys who could take that from him and carry the division, but I feel like Osprey is the best one to do it right now. I mean, you could argue, oh, there's Shingo, though, or Ishimori. I feel like Shingo's almost going to move up to heavyweight yeah. before Osprey. I, I, agree. I agree. Because I feel like they're almost teasing that more, even on commentary. He's a Hershey's <laughs> kiss away from a heavyweight. Yeah. Uh, they were t- saying that about Shingo on commentary. So to me, it's almost more viable that Shingo would move up before Osprey but I wouldn't be surprised if they let Osprey work with the heavyweights in some way. They found some kind of loophole to make it almost like he's a go-between kind of th- kind of thing. Almost like he did when he had the never open weight yeah. title. Yeah. So let's move to Dominion now and we'll start right there with Will Osprey going against Dragon Lee. Uh obviously to me this is going to be one of the best matches of the show. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I'm 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 super excited about it. And the thing is, like, I could see either guy winning, and I feel like Hiromu is the key. Because whoever wins, I feel like Hiromu will eventually have a feud with. I know Hiromu probably will have a feud with either one, but the story, the immediate story for Hiromu's return could be either guy. Like, so I have no idea who could possibly win and who's really going to viably win. It could be either one and it would work. So Dragon Lee is the one who took Takahashi out with the injury. Not purposely, of course, but it would be a great story to have Hiromu come back and challenge Lee for the title if Lee retains. But then you've got Osprey and Takahashi who also have a history, and it would be great, just as great, if Hiromu comes back. 
let's say Will Ospreay wins this match against Dragon Lee, and what if Hiromu comes back and beats the guy that won the Best of Super Junior Tournament and just beat Dragon Lee? So how big of a splash would that be for Hiromu? A huge splash. It would really mean, like, he's really back, and he's a secondary face just as high as Osprey in the junior division. So to me, that would be an awesome thing for Takahashi to come back uh, and beat Osprey. And Osprey as the hold, the title holder. Yeah. So that's why I think Osprey might win in his match against Dragon Lee. He might. He might. Uh, I think, whoever, uh, again, I think that's just going to be a fantastic match. I think it's going to be, so, I mean, because Dragon Lee is fan. I don't want to keep saying fantastic, but he's just so awesome, and and obviously we love Will Ospreay, so that'll be a really good match. Uh, I did mention Minoru Suzuki not in a major match, but he is in a tag match with Zack Sabre against Liger and Yoshihashi, as uh, Yoshihashi looks like he wants to challenge for the British title, so that's a little storyline with Zack Sabre, and of course the uh, Liger-Minoru Suzuki Rivalry continuing. Uh, we touched on Okada and Jericho earlier, so not much more to say there, except uh, that you think Okada wins there. Uh, I think he has to. Yeah. Because you got to have your IWGP heavyweight title defended and around on most of the shows. You, you can't just have somebody who's not around. Like, it worked for the IC title for a little while. But even people were upset that Jericho wasn't defending that as right. often as he should have. But it was cool to see Jericho. He's such a big name, and he does draw, you know, new eyes into the product. I will say that. But as your champ, it just, it, to me, is the wrong decision. So uh, if you're watching this after Dominion, uh, you'll know for sure what happens. <laughs> but uh, I am predicting that it has to be Okada. And I'm hoping I'm right. Uh, Ishii versus Tai Chi for the Never Open Weight Championship. Uh, they've they've done a pretty good job on this build as well. I know. Go ahead. Get tai Chi, flipping Tai Chi. He's the B plus player. Yes, he's improved, but he's still a B plus player in my opinion. I don't want to call Juice a B plus, but I'll be more than happy to call Tai Chi a B plus because yes, he's improved, but he's not like top tier guy. I really want this to be Ishii. <laughs> Ishii's had a great year. I would love to see him with the title now. So. Uh- uh, Shingo's going against Kojima. Uh, uh, an interesting match. Uh, you know, Shota had such a good uh, New Japan Cup. Uh, the young Lion, he's going to be John Moxley's first title defense. I just think it's odd that it's the first match in the show. Yeah. Like, why not make it higher up on the card? I guess start off with a bang. Yeah. But I, I just don't get it. Uh, I think, like, you know, because Moxley just had that really big match. They should at least make it third or fourth of the night and not the very opening match. Shota deserves it because he had a great performance against Tanahashi. Like you said, like, we've seen great things from him. Um, it, it's... Oh... Uh, it wouldn't be, like, the matchup that everyone would first think of. But I think it's a good first... Person for Moxley to face. There's no way Moxley's not going to win, though. <laughs> yeah. But it's great for Shota. It's a great yeah. platform for him, a great stage for him. Lots of eyes are going to be on him because everyone's watching what uh, Moxley, FKA, Dean Ambrose, is doing and, on the non-WWE scene. And we'll see if somebody makes their intentions known after that match of, of coming after Moxley. That could be interesting, too. It, I wish it was Suzuki, but Suzuki has a match later. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like if they did this for the reverse order, then Suzuki could come out after his match with Liger. See, that was the first match. Then uh, Moxley showed it later on in the card, and that's when Suzuki could come back out and be like, I'm challenging you. Yes! <laughs> Maybe they don't want to go into that yet. Maybe they want to save that, but it better happen is all I know. It better eventually happen where we see Moxley versus Suzuki. Heck, I, I tweeted out, do you guys think that Moxley would work in Suzuki Gun? 
if he joins Suzuki, or would you rather him feud with Suzuki? I gotta say, I could see him being with Suzuki, but I'd rather him feud. And a lot of people are saying that they want Moxley to stay, to stay solo. Uh, I could see him... Uh, how about he feuds with with Suzuki for a little while and earns Suzuki's respect, and Suzuki invites him to join suzuki Gun. I would love that, <laughs> but I wouldn't mind if Moxley had no faction no. affiliation. Yeah, especially because he was... And he probably would push for that because... He was for so long identified as just part of the shield. So yes, I think he'd like to be just a, a singles guy for a long time. I really don't care if he joins anybody. Like I said, the only thing I care about is facing Suzuki. <laughs> I mean, that's what I want to happen so bad. So yeah, that's uh, all. Uh, Tama Tonga and Tonga Loa going against Evil and Sonata. Of course, I'm over I'm, this. I'm wearing my Ring of Honor shirt. Uh, we're going to have that Briscoes. Uh, Tama Tonga, Tongaloa, no DQ match somewhere down the road, but uh, this and that that'll be the third time they've met. But met, but it feels like uh, Evil and Sonata have been their opponents quite a bit. <laughs> it feels like the fiftieth time Evil and Sonata have faced God. I know this might sound a little hypocritical because I'm super jazzed for the Briscoes and God, their third match that you just referenced, which is going to take place at Manhattan Mayhem. And it's going to be no DQ. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be awesome. The building won't be able to contain the level of violence and cursing. And uh, we may or may not be there. We'll see. We don't know. We have no idea right now with our financials, but we, we would love to be there. Um, that match would totally be a pro for going. It would be absolutely a, a, not a to, thing not to, to want to mention see. being at the Hammerstein Ballroom which is like a goal of mine I've always wanted to go I wanted to see a Ring of Honor show there live it's like definitely something on my bucket list for sure but yeah uh, to say that I'm excited for that as much as I'm excited for them I'm that much not excited for Evil and Sonata yeah. versus God and I don't know why I just think it's they've faced each other so much and there's no story at all the Briscoes and God they have a story mm. and I think you've got to keep the belts on God because you know, because of the whole meaning of their match against the Briscoes. But now that I'm saying this out loud, I guess Evil and Sonata could take the IWGP uh, titles, yeah. and then the Brisco the Briscoes will only be facing for the Ring of Honor titles, yep. and then that's how they win it back without taking away the IWGP titles. So to me, maybe I called it all wrong. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Uh, but it, it'll be a good match, but uh, not as exciting as... Uh, I'm talking about Evil and Sonata this week. Not as exciting an opponent as the Briscoes. Yeah. Uh, jumping all over the card, but finally, Ibushi versus Naito. And I talked about Gino's great commentary in the Ibushi match the other night. He goes, I really like Ibushi. We have similar body types. That was funny. Yeah, I remember you writing that down. <laughs> uh, I think this will be a great match again between these two, except for, like you said, it seems like too soon again but it seems like too soon the story's kind of running dry here between the two of them i know the match will be good but uh honestly i'm not ex- that excited for that match well I, yeah the wrestling will be good but there's like n- no real feel of story i'm excited for it i, I think kabushi's gonna retain yeah, i like kabushi so uh, i'm looking forward to that looking forward to the show and you should look forward to joining us after the show as we're going to do a live podcast on wrestling inc talking all about dominion moments after it ends yes so if you guys are up watching dominion live please check us out we'll be up watching live and we're going to go as paul just said a few minutes after it's over we're going to be going live on wrestling inc's youtube channel just search for wrestling inc on youtube you'll find it right there subscribe there'll be an event set up beforehand and if you uh don't subscribe ahead of time just go look at the page right after dominion's over and you should see us going live right there so uh Please tune in for that. We'd really love to talk with you. And a lot of times we'll read comments. So if you've got comments to say, if you've got things to shout out about the show or anything else in New Japan 
happening, you can do so in the comments and we'll most likely read them. Let's uh, go ahead and go to uh, a little discussion, WWE, NXT more specifically. WWE, of course, has Super Showdown uh, the day that we are releasing this episode, so we're not going to talk about Super Showdown for that reason, as, as well as we're not all that interested in that show. But we were very interested in NXT TakeOver 25, and it started with your guy, the bro. I forgot we were talking NXT. <laughs> this is how tired I am. I'm like, we're almost done. Now we're going into NXT TakeOver. Oh, man. Uh, yes, I was really happy to see my boy, my bro, the bro, Matt Riddle, against Roderick St- Strong. You know, I know there's lots of people who love Roderick Strong because he is a great in-ring wrestler, but to me, the charisma isn't really so much there. I'm going to get some heat from, for this, I know, because Roderick Strong, a lot of people love him. No, he's good in the faction, though, and that, and that's where he, he shines. He's just, yeah, he, he even, like, his face, he just looks like he's has nothing uh, uh, nothing to say at all. So, I know, I so know. So that's why he's not really a, a pro guy, or a promo guy. He uh, needed to have Riddle win here after his loss against Velveteen Dream, so. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you loved a sign in the crowd uh, for the bro uh, that you thought looked like something else. Oh, yeah, it looked like the NWO logo. So, you know, uh, big W, small N and O. This was a big R, small B and O. It was awesome. So it was like, bro, in the same style of that. And I thought that was a clever sign. I noticed it right away. Great sequence where Strong was throwing the knee strikes and the forearms. Just kind of, it was a great exchange along the ropes. And uh, I thought it was a, a great match, and it was a great match surprisingly, I thought, because, you know, again, Roderick Strong doesn't overly excite, but he he does always deliver, and it, it really set a good tone because the crowd was so into that match. They really were, and um, something that I love about Riddle's matches, and I've made this comment before, his kickout technique, like the way he does his kickouts, are so unique and different. Instead of, like, throwing his whole arm out, he just lifts up his shoulder. And to me, oh, yeah. his kickouts are so beautiful. I love that he kind of just lifts up his shoulder and, like, just elevates it versus moving his whole arm out of the way. I just think, you know, hardly anyone's doing a kickout like that. Everyone just kind of throws their arm around. I like it. I, I really love it. I just think it's kind of really subtle. It kind of almost makes him seem like a true MMA guy. I don't know, the way he just lifts up his arm. And he is a true MMA guy, so it just fits perfectly with his character. And he's so, like, uh, thin and 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 uh, sleek that I think the kickout also works, like, with his body type, the way he looks. It just, everything flows together, just very clean-cut, smooth. Uh, so uh, we'll see if maybe Matt Riddle is positioning himself for a future uh, title, main title shot. Uh, we know he went after Velveteen Dream at the last show, which was an awesome match in Brooklyn. So the War Raiders, whatever you want to call them, one of their four names, vacated the NXT uh, title. So we had a four-way ladder match, and boy, was this brutal. Yeah, it was brutal, and I know you really love the match, and I'm sure it's between this match and the Cole and Gargano match for your favorite um, I'm sure it's pretty close. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, look again. NXT always delivers. So the whole show, I thought, was really good. The, there were just so many brutal spots. I mean, right off the bat, Blake with that suicide dive into the into the ladder. I thought he was gonna knock himself out right off the bat. And then Kyle O'Reilly took such a beating in this match. He, he and Bobby Fish both, but Kyle. And then O'Reilly, Bobby Fish later comes out with a sling. Is that real? I don't know. He yeah. Might, I might was he been. hurt in this match? I don't know. That was weird to see. Like he had a legit sling on at the end when he, you know, joined Cole in the in the ring. I loved when uh, Jackson Riker comes out and uh, 
everybody kind of teams up to beat the hell out of him to get yeah. him out of out of the match. But in the end, the Street Profits get what I think is kind of a well-deserved title for them. They, a long they, time coming. Yeah, they've they've had a nice build to the point that they uh, deserve it. I know you liked some of the other teams, but besides Red Dragon, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm used to that. Besides uh, Undisputed Era, I feel like. Street Profits are the only other team in that match that have charisma and personality, like, really, that shine really, really bright. So, to me, I feel like at least I can get invested in their personas, in their gimmick, in their, like, their fun nature. Yeah. I like it a lot. But they also show that they can be serious and wrestle when they have to. So, to me, I'm glad to see them shine and having the title, especially if they have a little bit of a run, I feel like will elevate them as performers overall. Yeah, it's not like Forgotten Sons are going to be goofy. They, they, yeah. they are very serious. Uh, Tyler Breeze made his return to NXT. I loved Velveteen's dream, uh, Velveteen Dream's promo leading up to that, where he just killed Tyler Breeze's failures, basically, on the main roster. It had so much truth to it that you were like, ow! Yeah. And you know, like, like, that stings. Like, that stings. Come on. Like, if you're Tyler Breeze, like, you're like, oh my gosh, that's so true, though. I also love Dream taking the uh, selfie on the table while he's holding Tyler Breeze with the belt. Yeah. I thought that was a great moment. Uh, you know what was awesome? To see the crowd really have a warm reception for the return of Tyler mm -hmm. Breeze. Because, you know, we saw it in the Matt Riddle Dream match. The crowd was so behind Dream, they didn't even care about Riddle, which Riddle's super over. Right. So for Dream to be... The one cheered so much in that match. It just shows you how popular Dream is. However, having said that, it also says a lot that Tyler Breeze basically got dueling chance during the entrance of his match against Dream. So it just shows you how much people love Tyler Breeze and appreciate what he's done in NXT. And they know he must be happy to be back because he's actually getting a high-level match, unlike on the main roster. I agree. And uh, it was a nice homecoming for Tyler Breeze. Io Shirai taking on Shayna Baszler. I really thought Shirai might win this. Uh, I love her her little dichotomy where she smiles and then looks all serious <laughs> like a second later. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Baszler ends up winning. Uh, this brings up an interesting thing, honestly. What's that? Who is going to beat Baszler? She has been built up so much like a monster, almost too much, honestly. I really thought it was going to be Io, and now... Who is it going to be? I'm thinking Candice LeRae, possibly, but Candice LeRae has not wrestled or done anything besides being Johnny Gargano's wife, yeah. which I'm very upset about because Candice is amazing. Have her have a whole bunch of matches, build her up so that she is a super strong competitor for Baszler instead of just a random competitor for Baszler. Well, she came down ringside with a kendo stick that looked gigantic in her hands. Oh, yeah, you kept saying that. <laughs> it looks so big and she looks so tiny. <laughs> she really did. Uh, but at the end, uh, Baszler submits Io, and then Io goes nuts with the kendo stick and the chair. So... To me, that sets up maybe some sort of no DQ match with her and Baszler, and maybe that's how EO ends up winning the belt. Maybe that could happen. So, like, the secondary match, just don't have EO win it on the first one. Mm -hmm. Gotta have another one that's more brutal. Yep. That's a good point there. I could see that, too. I could see that more viable than the Candice win. Although I want Candice to be NXT Women's Champion, I feel like right now she's really got to have some singles matches more than just kind of being a... a a sidekick, because she's been playing the sidekick for everybody, not just Gargano's uh, Gargano. It's also yeah. for Io. She right. was playing the sidekick. Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> Candice is like a world-class wrestler. If she wasn't in NXT, and I've said this before, if she was in AEW, they would have made her the first AEW Women's Champion in a heartbeat, because the Young Bucks love her. They love her because, if you guys are PWG fans, 
she had an amazing match where she was tagging with Joey Ryan against the Young Bucks. She took a super kick from Matt while he was wearing a boot filled with thumbtacks. Yep. And her face was completely bloodied up. It was awesome. And just the Bucks have so much respect for her because that helped, like, launch them. It kind of almost went viral on social media. And that was, like, really long time ago where right. a lot of video, like, stuff in wrestling, social media was not utilized as it is today. So it was kind of like a new thing to utilize social media and utilize what you're doing outside of the ring, like, you know, what you're tweeting out and messaging to get over in the ring. So they used an in-ring segment to get over by tweeting right. it out outside of the ring. So they have a lot of respect for her. They would have elevated her in a heartbeat. So the fact that she's not getting elevated in NXT quick enough for me, I feel like is like a huge, a huge downer. She's going to get her time. I, I know she will. <laughs> I but uh, part of me still wants her to just leave. But she has a long time left on her contract, I'm sure. And plus she's with her husband. So. All right. So but anyway, she's awesome. Speaking of her husband, for the second straight NXT show, it is Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano. Uh, and Adam Cole comes out with a rap accompaniment. I thought the rap was creative. I just, it didn't, it didn't the do anything. The timing was weird. But the actual me. rapping was actually a good rap. <laughs> it was a good rap. Like, he said good things, but it just felt weird. And then the dude was in the ring with Cole <laughs> as he does the Adam Cole baby. I don't know. It just felt weird. But yeah, the rap was good. It was creative. Crowd was definitely pro-Cole. And uh, early on, they, they did a move where uh, Gargano stomps on Cole's arm on the apron kind of a dangerous seeming move it seemed like uh just because it could go wrong it felt like in a lot of ways but from there adam cole was selling his arm and we had differing views i thought he was selling really well you disagree i was just grumpy during this match well, i don't really 100 percent disagree i just thought he could sell more he's not my favorite seller i right. mean osprey is my favorite seller i think aj Styles is another great seller Sami Zayn is an amazing seller um i don't think of cole as a world-class seller <laughs> uh, he did okay yeah. I like the uh, simultaneous super kick. I thought that was well well executed. And the uh, Cole kick on the suicide dive, I thought was great. I thought this match was better than their first encounter because it was full throttle from the get-go. The last one, gr- granted, it was best of three falls. But this one just seemed from the get-go that they were going 80 miles an hour. So you're going, are you going off the wrestling or the emotion or both? Because both. we were there live. Right. And we were kind of high up. Mm-hmm. Did that affect your opinion on how this new one was better than the old one? Or do you think really the wrestling quality, from what you can remember, it was truly better? No, because the crowd was definitely just as into it in uh, Brooklyn, I felt like. Uh, it just felt like this got going and was... Instead of slower, like yeah. a two out of three falls yeah. match usually is yeah. slower anyway. Yeah, so I, I mean, I liked it better than the best of three falls match. And uh, in the end, Adam Cole is your new champion, which I'm fine with. I think, uh, I mean, look, he he deserves to have the title reign at some point because you knew they were eventually going to give him the main belt. His promo work is top notch. His character, I love. I just am not the hugest fan of his wrestling. Having said that, though, he did have a great match with Gargano. His second great match with him. Yeah. Like you said, I kind of agree. I think this match, this match, might have been better than the Brooklyn match. I think so. I think it was. Uh, way, way, uh, you, but but the falls were so well. That's true. so fun in the first match, though. So it's hard to say now because now I'm remembering how <laughs> everyone was like, "Oh, he almost won." So to me, and then you had that look on Cole's face where you thought he had Gargano, but he didn't. Right. Uh, so to me now, I'm like almost I'm going back and backtracking on my own answer just now. <laughs> Maybe the original was better. I don't know. Both are really good though. Period. Well, uh, either way, ve- lots of fun uh, mm-hmm. on both fronts. Uh, good NXT Takeover show. 
good uh, finals for best of super juniors. <laughs> Nothing. To, neither show was something to sneeze at. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, can't wait for Dominion to again. Remind you to join us for the live uh, live podcast on Wrestling Inc. right after Dominion. But when we come back, we're gonna quickly go through AEW with a couple of uh, interviews that we got from Starcast. One from Starcast in Las Vegas, and another from Starcast in Chicago last year. Our Two-Faced Wrestling Talk logo was inspired by Two-Face, the Batman animated series character, and his coin. The logo was designed by the talented and creative artist Eric Hudson. Eric creates wrestling-themed pieces as well as other pop culture art. He is also currently working on a Roddy Piper comic book. You can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dreaded Dinosaur. You can also support his work by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash dreaded dinosaur. Please check out his work. And now back to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. So you guys, I'm so excited for you to hear my Jimmy Havoc interview. We talked about, you know, a good number of things for being a shorter interview. We talked about horror movies. I can't wait for you to listen to it. He was such a cool guy. He was. He did a couple of interviews before us. That's why I wanted to keep it short when we did get to him. StarCast was great. We got a lot of people... We were promoting that we were going to run Eric Hodson, our wrestling artist, this week. However, look out for that in the following weeks because we're not running it today. We're short on time. And we've got a giveaway we need to figure out the details of that concerns Eric. You'll be excited about the giveaway. Yes. Especially if you were at... in Las Vegas for Double or Nothing and for Starcast. Yeah, it uh, is a elite-themed poster piece of artwork. So we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Stay tuned. There will be a giveaway, and I know you guys will want this print. It's awesome. Yeah. But having said that, let's get right into our boy, Jimmy Havoc. I'm with Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Flippin' Havoc. Oh my gosh, we have to say it that way because PG, yeah, yeah. But man, you are such an icon when it comes to hardcore wrestling. Take so many risks. I love what you did with stapling the cigarette to Joey Janela. Just talk about last night and how cool it is to be a part of AEW. Uh, it's, it's really cool for me, just like as a performer, like talking about the hardcore stuff, like I feel like my problem's always been that I've always done what I wanted to do and I've never really towed the line. I've never really done what other people wanted me to do. But last night was kind of validation for me, I guess, that that's paid off now. And uh, yeah, it was cool. Like, you know, I always worry like in that sort of environment how that sort of thing's gonna work, but people seem to like it. So it's, yeah. And I didn't get in trouble for it. So it's, I always find it's best to ask for forgiveness than ask permission and get told no. So, yeah, but no, it's, it's cool. It's, it's really cool being a part of it. It's, uh, it's, uh, the, the industry's changed a lot in the last couple of years, and uh, it's nice to be at the forefront of that now. Yeah, I really do think you're at the forefront of it, and it's just a whole different landscape than it was before. Just talk about, like, what do you think the change is going on? How do you think it's going to affect everything, AEW popping up and the success of Double or Nothing? How will that change things? Well, I think a lot of people are comparing it to like back when WCW was around because this is the first time in a long time there's been like genuine competition. You know, there's a TV deal that is probably on a bigger channel than anything WWE's on. You know, we got a bigger TV deal in England than anything WWE's on. Like it's the first time in ages there's been actual competition, and I think that competition breeds, you know, success and creativity. So I think when we're doing the stuff we're doing, it's going to make them want to be more creative and like push the boat out a bit, which is in turn going to make us want to do it more. And it creates a better landscape for wrestling and for wrestling fans. Because when people have got choice, like I don't think it's going to be one or the other. People are going to be able to actually consume more wrestling now. I think the best way to describe it is like since like the advent of YouTube and stuff, it's not like wrestling fans have particularly been stuck to one indie company. 
go watch all indie companies because everything offers something new and something different that, that people want to see. So it just means wrestling fans, they get to watch more wrestling and you have no life at all anymore. You know, they used to be able to go out on Wednesday night, but yeah, can't do that anymore. Now if we've got a TV deal, well, I don't know what day it is. That's not a spoiler. I don't know what day it is yet. But, but yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's very exciting. I mean, not only is it exciting for wrestling fans, but wrestlers too, more places to work. That's always a good thing. Well, I can only work one place now. Well, now you can, yeah. <laughs> but speaking about all the places you've worked before this one place, you've had so many like iconic hardcore spots. Can you pinpoint like one craziest favorite hardcore spot you've done? Probably the me and Ricky Champagne, either the Canadian Destroyer off the top rope in the ECW arena, or uh, the, the Canadian Destroyer off the top rope in Kraken Hall in Japan. Uh, one through a table, one through light tubes. I did, when I land on the light tubes, it, my arse got all wet, I thought I'd burst my arse all open, but it was Ricky's head blood, just, it just soaked through my jeans, so luckily it wasn't my arsehole that got bust open, so. What a relief that yeah, it wasn't your really arse. Trust me, it was a relief, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine so. You also had some really great interactions with Osprey. Like, anything jumps out from that, because I just love you two guys. Yeah, every match I've had with Osprey has, has been amazing. Like, uh, he, he made me a better performer, and uh, I think he'll credit me making him a better one as well, because he was always scared that I was actually going to kill him, which is nice. Um, yeah, like every match we've had has been so different. Um, if I had to pick a favourite, it'd either be Chapter 20 where he beat me for the belt or Chapter 76, the two out of three falls. Um, my cardio is really awful, so I don't know how I wrestled for 45 minutes. So I was really proud of myself for that one. I mean, I'm sure I was laying down for like 42 of those 45 minutes, but it, 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 you know, you don't see that on the timestamp, do you know what I mean? So it's, I really like both of those choices. Good picks there. Uh, and finally, you have done a lot of work with the photographer James Musselwhite. I'm a huge fan of him. He's so artistic, creative, really one of the best photographers. He's, he's got such a good subject. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually going to ask about that. His calendar of you, like not this past year, but the year before, where it was like all horror movie, yeah, yeah. like homages. Talk about the concept, how it came to be, I and doing the photo shoot. I love horror movies. So we picked two of horror movies and did photos. Is it really, unfortunately, the creative process wasn't much longer than that. But no, I just picked two of my favorite horror movies and we just we just did that together. But like, um, I always have a go, James, because he makes me look too good. Because I don't look like I see. If you see me now, this is how I really look. But like, if you use one of his photos for Tinder or something, they do me for false advertising because I really don't look that in real life. But um, no, it's been it's been wicked to work with James. Like we just work really well together. And like ever since the first shoot we had, like. I knew he was my guy to, to use. Like, uh, there's loads of other great photographers, but James, because he's such a good mate as well, he's always going to be my, my go-to guy. Like, um, I, I got a new coat of masks this weekend, for, so I can't wait to get some photos done on that with him. That's going to look good. Yeah, he's incredible, and actually, he was ringside yeah, he at was Double good. or Nothing, so it was great to see him get to be a part of everything. He probably has some amazing shots. Oh, he does. Yeah, he showed me a bunch of shots last night. We went out for a few, a few drinks. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait I'm to see. Hung over at the moment, but um, yeah, no, he's got uh, the, the shots he gets are always amazing. He's, yeah, he's the best photographer I've worked with. Him. So what would your favorite be from that calendar with all the horror movies? Your favorite photo that he took? I really like the, the It one in The Clown. Oh, yeah. That looked really good. But um, I don't know, what's, probably the, 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 for the best shot, I, I reckon the Scream one, where we're in like, the forest with the, the noose and stuff. Like, the, I thought that shot was really cool. And uh, the Friday the 13th one, where I'm in the lake with, with the knife. That, 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 yeah, I had to throw away those boots after that because they got really? soaked through. Yeah. But, you know, but, uh, all that calendar I really like. I thought it was cool. The one I was worried about was uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street one, while, while I'm in his kid's bed with all the kids' toys around. I was like, oh, this looks a bit creepy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. 
Well, it worked though. <laughs> and I really love, uh, I think my favorite's the Pennywise one. That one's just so creepy and eerie. I'm gonna put you on the spot, final question. Favorite horror movie? If you can't pick one, I'll allow you to do a top five. Um. But people debate whether it's a horror movie or not, but The Shining is one of my favorites, just because like, I preferred it to the book as well. I thought the ending to the yes. film was so much better than the one in the book. Um, I mean, it wasn't bushes. You know, I think the maze is better than the bushes. Yeah, 100%, yeah. Um, uh, Psycho, I think it's brilliant. Um, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, that, that, that's, that's incredible. I didn't mind the remake either, to be yeah. fair. Like, everyone shit on it, but I thought it was all right. Um, yeah, but... I'll yeah, I don't know. Maybe actually, right, Halloween, the original Halloween. Oh, yeah. I actually quite like the new one as well. Me too, actually. Yeah, the, that, that was a lot better. I think people shit on it for no reason. Like, the, the ending was a bit hokey, sort of, but you had to kill him. Like, you can't just keep making these films forever. Well, you can, actually, can't you? It's Hollywood. <laughs> yes, you can keep remaking it forever if you want, but... Yeah. Recently they remade Suspiria. That's one of my yes. favorites. Oh, so good. Yeah, that remake was fucking wicked as well. I actually haven't seen lot. it yet. You oh, liked it? It was a lot better than I thought it was good. Maybe I went in with such low expectations. It's probably not actually very good, but because I went in with such low expectations, it was actually really good. But yeah, the original, like, yeah, that's a fucking wicked film. That's probably my favorite. And then Halloween, the original, right underneath it. Even the original, it, it although it's corny, Tim Curry. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, Tim Curry's amazing. Yeah, and you did such a good, like, homage to, like, the new Pennywise. Because yeah, like, yeah. I felt like it was more new Pennywise in your picture than old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But I love everything you do. Really cool to hear your favorite horror movies. Wishing you all the best oh, in AEW. Much. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thank you. So after that interview, uh, and before I had to go run and buy Jimmy a beer, which that was the contingency on him doing the interview. He's like, only if you buy me a beer, mate. I said, all right, done. Of course, he was drinking Budweiser Swill. But, yeah, it was you know, terrible. We'll forgive him for that. And I had to run all over the, uh, the Caesar's Palace to try and find one of the stands that had Budweiser. But... Um, after the interview, he uh, he told a great story on one of the shoots uh, that they had jumped a fence, and when they did it, there was a, a, a police officer right there, and they thought for sure they were going to get arrested. Uh, and they didn't get arrested. The officer kind of scolded them a little bit, but Jimmy Havoc thought it would be funny if he was in cuffs getting arrested, and he put out the picture, and then people really thought he was arrested, and his response was, would I be tweeting it out right this second if I had gotten arrested? <laughs> and, like, would the police officer, like, let him take yeah. a picture? No. No. I don't so. think so. I mean, I guess you you can't control that as an officer. You're, like, because people video officers <laughs> right. all the time. So I guess that wouldn't matter. But, you know, how could he tweet that out in jail? It right. was it was awesome. Because people were like, are you in jail right now, mate? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. So it was great to hear that story off camera. We wanted to share it with you because it was so funny. I wish you would have shared it on camera. But it was a cool little moment we had with him afterwards. Yeah, so he and Jim James Musselwhite have had some funny incidents and you got a chance to talk to photographer James Musselwhite last year at StarCast. Yep, James Musselwhite of course as uh, I referenced in the interview is the photographer that took pictures of Jimmy Havoc for this awesome horror movie calendar which I love I it's really awesome. really love it's I had it and every month I would flip the page and video me flipping the page to see what new horror movie he was paying homage to so well done and James is so cool on social media he would tweet back at me after I tweeted out this video and would give a little behind the scenes snippet about each calendar page turn it was great about each of the photo shoots he's such a nice guy and he was at double or nothing ringside taking yeah, a lot of photographs yep. and really proud of his work if you guys aren't familiar check him out just search for him and you could also find him on twitter he also does portrait of a wrestler.com where you could buy a lot of his artwork and pictures 
Remember, he's the one that had the iconic Cody shot at All In. Remember? Yes, yes, yes. He was holding up the NWA 10 pounds of gold, and James Musselwhite took an awesome picture of it, and it really circulated around. Everyone loves that picture. But here we are. This is our interview with James Musselwhite from last year at StarCast. We talk about Jimmy Havoc's horror movie calendar that we talked about with Jimmy, and we also talked about Marty Skrull's entrance video and how James felt about All In last year. It's Kelsey, and I'm here with James. He's such a talented photographer. He does a lot of great work. He's taken so many pictures of so many wrestlers, including Marty Skrull. He was here today at StarCast, taking a picture of the weigh-in. Talk about some of your work and where we can find your work. Uh, Portraitofawrestler.com, that's where I take my, most of my pictures, mainly of the UK indie scene, which, as you know, is amazing at the moment. Uh, really, really interesting scene. Got huge stars out there wrestling regularly, week to week. People like Pete Dunne, Trent Seven, uh, Marty, when he can. Uh, Jimmy Havoc, who's my favorite. I know that you've got some of my Jimmy Havoc work on I, your fridge. I do. I have the Jimmy Havoc calendar, and it's so cool. There's all these little nods to horror movies. Mm -hmm. Please talk about the inspiration behind that and then, like, the photo shoot you did to complete that calendar. Well, it's all Jimmy, basically. Jimmy's, uh, like, he's super into his horror movies, uh, his scary films, and we thought rather than just doing a calendar of his, like, our favorite images of him, It'd be really good to theme every month around a different horror movie. So we took him to, we did like uh, the, the Descent, which we spoke about. Uh, we did, uh, oh, Nightmare on Elm Street was one where we sort of dressed him up as Freddy Krueger, got, you know, got like the, the big glove and we had the striped jumper and everything. Then we did another one on like a vintage one, like Psycho as well, where we had him sort of like attacking you in the shower from like that point of view. Uh, so we changed it about, but it was just something that was super different. And like, I don't know what we're going to do next year. We're literally in the planning stages now, as in, we had a beer the other day and he said we should do another calendar. That's how far that planning went. Um, <laughs> so we've got to give it some thought, but we're going to be doing something unique for uh, 2019 as well. Well, I'll keep my eye on that because I definitely want another one for next year. So many great images. And what is your favorite image? I mean, I know you must have taken thousands and thousands of photographs. Do you have a favorite or a couple of favorites? Oh, man, it's, it's difficult because I'm always trying to do different things. So I'm not trying to do the same thing. Um, my, my work, like when I started, it was all black and white on dark backgrounds. And there's a picture of a, of a guy called Pastor William Eva. Pastor William Eva. William, of course, short for Bill Pastor Believer. Uh, and he plays sort of like a wrestling pastor, which is lovely. And we've got a, a shot of him all muscly and grizzled. And he's got, he's got his trunks on. He's got his big beard and his big bushy hair. And I just, that's one of my favorite images. And it's one of the only images that's received a formal complaint at the NEC Photography Conference in the UK. Why did it receive a complaint? <laughs> because of the placement of the crucifix within the image. You'd have to see the image to understand. Uh, I didn't see it. Uh, I shot the image. Uh, the person who, who's, who saw it complained about it. They saw it. So who's the one with the really dirty mind? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Well, your equipment must be pretty intense to take like the type of photographs you do. Talk about the equipment you use to make these beautiful images. Well, I'm um, luckily enough to be supported by Canon in what I do. We recorded a video for them earlier this year, which you can find online, uh, where I talk about the project and talk about what I do. I find Canon products work really, really well for me. And it's just a lot of people ask me what equipment I use. I only use Canon because I chose Canon out of a shop window when I was 16 years old because it was the only silver camera in the shop. Okay, that's why I chose it. Okay, it's about photography is about using light, seeing light, and using the camera that you've got to capture it as best you can, not the quality or how much your lens cost. Good point there. And you know, a lot of people might not know 
You did the video package for Marty Skrull. That's one of my favorite video packages, like, ever. Like, when he comes in, when in his entrance, that thing playing in the background, that was all you. Please talk about the inspiration behind that, why you chose, you know, the shots you chose. It's one of my favorite things ever. Thank you. It's, it, it, you say it's all me. It's not. It, it, it's kind of a little bit me and a little bit Marty. It's a two-way street. It's a creative process. We knew that we needed to, when he went to Ring of Honor, we had to make an impact. We had to do something different and we had to make him stand out from the rest. And Marty goes the extra mile all the time. The theme music, he sought a guy out to do that for him, to create that for him. And they worked together to create something different. Once we had the theme music in place, we could get ideas for the entrance video. And because it was about him entering a new sort of, you know, a new, a new wrestling arena, a new wrestling ring, we just had him suddenly appear with the umbrella on the ropes, the hat stand in the ring. You know, the top hat, the jacket, and then he stood there. And we've created this character, the villain. He's not a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He's the villain. I love the entrance and I love the video because it's so perfect. It works hand in hand and it's really perfect with the music too. So that was awesome. Thank you for that information. And finally, this is such a huge weekend for wrestling. You know, I think with the Bucks and Cody, and Marty's a part of that too, what they're all doing is really revolutionary for the wrestling business. Talk about what it means to be here photographing, like all this stuff going on at StarCast and then at All In. It's legitimately the greatest honor I think I've, that I've had, like in, since I started the project four years ago, to be invited to sort of come here and document things as they happen and, and the more I walk around like Starcast and, and, and meet vendors and meet the guys who do the podcasts and meet the guys like you know like yourself and also the, the wrestlers that are around the industry you sort of almost feel a changing of the guard and you almost feel like this is an entirely new generation of, 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 of the way that wrestling is is absorbed by the fans um, it's it's an absolute privilege to be here Beautifully spoken, beautifully shot photographs. Thanks so much for your time, James. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So a great interview with him. He is a fantastic photographer, one of the best in the business, if not the best. And uh, he really, he shared some great stories there. He did. And not only is he a great photographer, but he's a great guy. During... Um, all in he came and brought me an okada book <laughs> so i have an okada book from all in because of james muscle white thank you james i love him so much he's so sweet i hope to see him again uh it's, so we're gonna quickly now uh, ra uh close out the show and send them home kelsey i guess for you sending them home why don't you uh promo once again what we got coming up this weekend yeah, we've got our live podcast right after Dominion. I know we keep plugging this, but we don't want you guys to miss it because we're staying up live to do it, and we want to hear your thoughts right after the show is over. So you're a big New Japan fan, please check out our live post-show podcast. All you have to do is go to Wrestling Inc. on YouTube. Search Wrestling Inc. in the search bar. If you're not already subscribed, find it, subscribe to it, or just go to their channel and click the video right after the show's over. And my sending them home is going to be very brief. WWE. Vince, another arm wrestling match. People want to see actual wrestling, not arm wrestling. That I know. Is, that is all. <laughs> that makes sense. I'm not tuning in for arm wrestling. I'd just watch an arm wrestling tournament, yes. tournament if so, on like ESPN. or Do they air it on ESPN? I'm sure they do. I they bet they everything. do. They do air everything. It may be on the Ocho. What's that one with the brooms that you like? Curling. Curling, yeah. I, I, that's, that's I, I don't even say like. I th I'm more fascinated by it. I mean, it's so weird. <laughs> anyway, we thank you guys for sticking with us for this podcast. We had a lot of fun talking tons of New Japan, which is a rarity lately. We've been talking a lot of other things, so it was great to dive into 
one of my favorite promotions, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Thanks, you guys. That's all the time we have for you today, but we thank you for your time, as always. Until next time, time's the theme here. Yes. <laughs> um, we'll see you later. Thank you so much. That's it for us. That's the finish. Thank you.